0: Welcome back, because we are in a series entitled, Jesus Is. Jesus Is. We are talking about through the entire book of Mark, story after story, that Jesus demonstrates through His complete and total power over everything, including nature, demons, religious traditions, blindness, deafness, paralysis, sickness, curses, death, and finally, eternal salvation itself. The book of Mark screams with every verse, Jesus Is the Son of God. We are now in the middle of chapter 8, as we're going to be looking uh, at verses 11 through 13. The title of our message here this morning is Seeking a Heavenly Sign. Seeking a Heavenly Sign. And I want to ask you a question. You be honest with your pastor here in God's house this morning. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Be honest. Have you ever asked God for a sign. Now, if your answer to that is no, you either A, have never tried following after God, or B, you're lying to your pastor and it's confession time. And the reason why is this. There's something ingrained in us as human beings who are both physical and spiritual. When we worship a God in spirit and in truth, sometimes in our physical selves, we yearn to have visible proof. And so if that's you, I'm not here to cast stones, but I am here to share with you, according to God's Word, the limits on seeking signs and what God really desires of us as we we grow in our faith. So a little testimony time, so this way you know that I'm not casting stones on anybody in this room. When I first came to faith in 2007, I was wrestling with believing that the Bible was the full authority of the Word of God. And I wrestled with that for a while, and God really blessed and affirmed that. I'll talk about that a little bit later. But I'm going to be honest. As a new believer, I, I found myself throughout the course of the day saying, God, I want to see you do something, do something. And I would say, God, show me a sign. I remember one night in prayer uh, in the fall of 2007, I was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania in this old Victorian town home, and I was in one of these bedrooms that had those big old radiators, the oil-based radiators that gave you the heat in the wintertime. And I was praying in the dark, God, if you could just do anything, if you could just show me a sign that you're here. And I had a winter jacket that was laid across the radiator and all of a sudden the jacket fell off the radiator and I jumped three feet in the air like a five-year-old girl. And I realized right then and there, I don't think I'm quite prepared for the God of the universe to show me what I'm actually asking for. And so I began a journey, and I remember again that year, where I stopped asking for signs, and I started reading the Word. And God met me where I was, and I would say for everybody in this room, God's not looking for you, if you're a new believer, to wake up one day in full spiritual maturity. That's not how it works. But if you are somebody who is seeking after signs, I hope today will be an encouragement to you to go a little bit deeper. And understand why signs are not God's primary way of growing your faith. You know, I've learned that signs, and God is a God who can do whatever He wants. There have been signs in my life that have strengthened my faith, but signs cannot produce faith. And the reason why is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 tells us, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or conviction of things not seen. Your trust is in the Lord Jesus, is not going to be based on what you've seen. It's going to be based on what He said, because it's the evidence of things not yet seen. There will be a day where faith becomes sight, but that day is not today. And so we got to go beyond signs. And we also need to understand that without faith, signs only produce a desire to see more Signs. If your heart has not been changed by the Lord Jesus and you ask for a sign thinking that's going to give you rock-solid faith, it may give you a wonderful experience, but you'll find yourself waking up the next day saying, God, do it again. I'm not 100% certain, God, do it again. And that's why we have to move beyond signs. In fact, I shared this with our Sunday night crowd last week. Somebody said this statement to me when I was a new believer, and it was a game changer. So as it was shared with me, I share it with you. The person said to me, We look at God and we say, show me and I'll believe. And God says, no, believe me and I'll show. And as we look at the passage here, we'll see, and I think as we look at other scriptures, we'll see, we do have a God that says, believe me, step out in faith and I will show you beyond a shadow of a doubt who I am. But you must believe first and I'll show second, not the other way around. So my plea today as we look at Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13 is that we understand the heart of Jesus who wants to lead us by faith and not by sight. And I want us to see the danger of people that are constantly calling after the heavens to show signs of who Christ is. So that leads us to our big idea in one sentence. Jesus rejects a request for seeking a heavenly sign because no amount of evidence can replace the role of faith. Jesus rejects a request for seeking a heavenly sign because no amount of evidence can replace the role of faith. So if you want to know more about uh, God's perspective on seeking a heavenly sign, would you join me by turning to the book of Mark? Again, second book of the New Testament, Matthew and then Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, be on page 1003 in your pew Bible, in front of you or beside you, and if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, again, we're in Mark chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13, hear God's word to us through his servant Mark. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are so good to us. You are so patient with us. And you meet us where we are. Lord, I believe everybody in this room at some point has probably asked you for a sign, and yet you don't turn away from us. You're patient with us. And yet you show us in this passage, Lord, the heart of seeking after signs is not always a heart of true faith. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would Just take these words and press them deep into our hearts that we would know your heart, that we would walk by faith and not by sight, and that we would continue to grow in that walk as we grow in your word, seeking to be more like your son. Be with us now. Give us your power and your presence as we walk through this passage together, we pray. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. amen. So before we walk back into the text, and we will, I want to start off by saying, if you're new to the faith or maybe there's some of you here today that are skeptical, God is okay with questions. In fact, God is okay with doubts. In fact, it's a good thing that you doubt your doubts and that you're constantly asking questions because it means you want to understand. And let me say this, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. God is not asking you to just jump into the pool of Jesus without any background information. All right, He doesn't want blind followers. No, He wants to remove the blinders. But some of that takes place in seeking after Him with everything we have. And some of that is seeking after Him intellectually. I know that was my journey. Again, I was raised in a Catholic church. I did not know the real Jesus. And when I came to know Him... My struggle was believing in the authority of the Word. And that was not an overnight process. That was several months and even years of of, of having doubts and studying and growing and putting the Bible to the test. And what I found in doing that research is this you can trust this book. It was written over the course of more than 1,500 years by more than 40 different authors, most of which never met each other, on three different continents, in three different languages, one consistent testimony of the need for the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can trust this book. We do not have a blind faith. So when God calls us to follow Him in faith, He's not saying it's wrong to have questions. He's not even saying it's wrong to have doubts. But He's saying where you go for those questions and those doubts should not be seeking after physical signs, but getting into His Word and trusting Him at His Word. And when you do that, you will see why God says, believe me and I'll show and not show me and I'll believe. And so, you know, as you look in the scriptures and you see individual stories of people following God, what you'll see over and over is that signs did not strengthen faith. I'll give you a couple of examples. How many times have you read the book of Exodus, and you get to uh, Exodus 14, and you see this amazing miracle of God parting the Red Sea, and the nation of Israel coming in Exodus out of Egypt into the wilderness. I mean, can you imagine if all of us walked out, and God parted the Ogechi River, and we walked on dry land to the other side, and then all of a sudden, a week later, we start asking God for more signs. Because that's what the Israelites did when they didn't see Moses come down the mountain. Guess what they decided to do? Worship a golden calf. I mean, this was not years and years and years after the Exodus. It doesn't tell us the exact amount of time, but it was a short amount of time when they got on the other side of the Red Sea that was parted by God and already they're wandering and worshiping false gods. Obviously, the visible signs did not strengthen their faith. The second is, you know, Dave preached through the book of Judges. I want you to think about Gideon, a very imperfect man, as are we all. And I want you to think about how he tested God with the fleece. All right, He wanted to know if God was in fact with him. So he lays down the fleece, and he says in Judges chapter 6 that if I wake up tomorrow and the fleece is wet but the ground is dry, God I'll know you're with me and you've called me to lead the people. So what happens? God complies. He wakes up, the fleece is wet, the ground is dry, and as Dave preached, he says, Okay, God, forgive me, but I need to test you again, and I'm gonna flip the stakes. Now I want to make sure that the ground is dry, but or the ground is wet, but the fleece is dry. Forgive me, Lord. I just need to test you one more time. You see, all the times we keep seeking for signs, it's never enough. God, show me one more. How do I know that wasn't just me? Lord, show me another. And the third, and this is the saddest one, I want you to think about Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot walked with Jesus for three years. Now, how many of you would say, Bo, if Jesus walked into Cedar Street and I saw him with my eyes for one minute, I'd never have a doubt ever again. Jesus or Judas walked with him for three years. He saw him do all the things that we've been talking about. He saw him heal the sick feed the crowds, preach with a power that nobody had ever seen, give sight to the blind, give hearing to the deaf. He saw it week after week after week. And when Jesus was telling Judas and telling the others that I'm going to Jerusalem to build a kingdom that you don't know of and it's not a kingdom I'm going to take by force, Judas said, yeah, give me some time. I'm going to go, I'm going to go round up some Roman soldiers and you can show them how powerful you are. He didn't understand. He couldn't get it. And he betrayed Christ. He did not need signs. He needed the blinders removed. He needed a new heart. That's what we need when it comes to following Christ. Now again, I'm not here to cast stones if you've asked God to show you a sign. I've prayed those prayers. And I'm not saying that I have not seen God do things that have been a great encouragement. But I know that my faith has been strengthened by putting one foot in front of the other not knowing exactly how it was going to work out, but knowing who was in control. And that's why Solomon, by the way, who was the wisest man to ever walk the face of the earth apart from Christ, says himself in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, it's hanging up in my office. I know many of you claim it as one of your favorite passages. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Again, Believe me and I'll show, not show me and I'll believe. So now we know God's heart on this. And as we walk into the passage, we'll see the Pharisees had a much different heart and a much different approach when it comes to signs. And Jesus reacted in a very, very different way. So I want us to look at four principles from this passage on seeking a heavenly sign. Here's the first. I want to look at the reality of seeking a heavenly sign. The reality of seeking a heavenly sign. The first part of verse 1 says that uh, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven. Now, historical background. This was not an uncommon request in first century Palestine. It wasn't. And the reason why it wasn't, there was a lot of false prophets and there was a lot of false messiahs. There was a lot of people claiming they were in fact the son of God and they came in fulfillment of the scriptures. And so it became a very common practice to say, you think you're God, back it up. Now, I think we've seen leading up to chapter 8, Jesus has done a whole lot to back it up, right? I mean, he's shown all kinds of miracles. But here's the deal. Here's what's unique to the Pharisees. The Pharisees are not asking him for a miracle in this passage. They've already seen him do multiple miracles. But they don't believe that the authority in which he's doing those miracles is coming from God. And so what they're asking for is a specific heavenly sign. They're asking for audible or visible proof from the kingdom of heaven itself that Jesus is from God and is working in the authority of God. That's what they're asking. Now, we have to ask ourselves, if Jesus is God, which we believe he is, is it possible that he could use the kingdom of heaven to affirm his identity? And I want to say, not only can Jesus do that, he did it multiple times. But here's the key, and listen closely. When Jesus affirmed with a heavenly sign here on earth that he was the Son of God, he always did it for faithful followers who were already following him. I'll give you two examples the first, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, was there a sign from heaven that he was the Son of God? You better believe it. In Mark chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, it says, And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So Jesus did have a sign from heaven that he was the Son of God. But who was that in front of? John the Baptist. Who is John the Baptist? A faithful follower who went before Christ to prepare the way. And God affirmed that because John the Baptist believed and then was shown. I'll give you my second example. We'll be looking at this probably a little bit later on. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, Jesus once again affirms his identity with a heavenly sign that we know as the Mount of Transfiguration. He takes the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They go up on the mountaintop, and he's transfigured with Moses and Elijah. All right, And it says in Mark chapter 9, verse 7, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. So, it's not that God is not willing at times to give a sign from heaven on who Jesus is. The key in the passage is, when God chose to do that, he did it with believers who were faithfully following Christ, John the Baptist and the inner circle of Peter, James, and John. But now you have Pharisees coming and asking. It's a whole different story. Again, believe me and I'll show, not show me and I'll believe. So before we move on to point two, I just want to ask you this. If you're someone in this room who is struggling to believe and you're struggling in your faith, Are you being obedient to what you already know? God's not asking anybody in this room to be a scholar if that's not your calling. My question is, if you want God to affirm who He is, how are you doing in what you already know to be true? Because I would be willing to say that all of us struggle with what we already know, not really what we don't yet know, but what we do know we're not being obedient to. God says, be faithful to what you do know, and I'll meet you there. And I'll strengthen you there. But you need to be faithful to what you already do know. In 2007, when I asked God for signs, He knew I was immature. He didn't strike me down with lightning. He was patient with me. But I will tell you this, in 2021, if I was still begging and pleading for signs and unwilling to read the Bible because I didn't believe it was the Word, I think He'd be a little bit more impatient with me. Because I'm in a different place in my faith now than I was then. It's a journey. And so I say to each of you, if you're struggling to believe right now, be faithful where you are and watch how he'll show in time. That's number one. Number two, let's look at the reason for seeking a heavenly sign. The second part of verse 11 has these three terrifying words. At the end, it says that they were seeking a sign from heaven to test him. God knew their hearts. Jesus, as the Son of God, knew their hearts. They were asking for a sign not because they wanted to believe, but because they wanted to test Jesus and discredit Him. They did not want to believe because they did not want Jesus to be the Son of God and discredit them because they were the people of authority as the teachers of the law. And Jesus knew their motive. They wanted to trap Him and discredit Him. And Jesus was not going to fall for it. And here's the deal. We see earlier on in the book of Mark, the Pharisees were present when God was working through Christ and Christ was casting out demons. And if you remember with me, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 22, how did they respond to these miraculous powers of Christ? It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he cast out the demons. This became what is known as the unpardonable sin. And we said way back when in that message, if you're scared that you've committed the unpardonable sin, I'm telling you, you haven't, because the unpardonable sin is to be in the presence of the Son of God and to see Him do miraculous work and attribute that work to Satan and not God. That's the unpardonable sin. And they committed it, because if you see Jesus in the flesh doing work only Jesus can do, and you attribute it to the devil, there's no salvation for you apart from that. After Jesus, there's no more round two. All right? There's not another lifeboat coming. And they didn't get it. So n- another miracle would not have worked because every miracle he did just made them more and more angry because they didn't have a heart for Christ. And they attributed everything he did to, th- to Satan himself. But Jesus tells us again in another passage, if you want to know that I am God and that my teaching and authority come from God. If you want to know that I'm the Son of God, you better obey the will of God. He says it in John chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. So once again, just as I said a few minutes ago, if you're struggling to believe the Bible is the Word of God, obey the Lord and find out. Obey the Lord and find out. He will affirm it. I, I can testify that He's done it in my life as well. Faithfully obey the Word of God and you will know it comes from the Son of God. That is who Jesus is and that is what He tells us. Again, believe me and I'll show, not show me and I'll believe. That's two. Number three, we've seen the reality of seeking a heavenly sign. The reason for seeking a heavenly sign Third, let's look at the response to seeking a heavenly sign. As we look at verse 12, it says, And he, meaning Jesus, sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Now we see the heart of Jesus. Don't just gloss over these words. It says that he sighed deeply in his spirit. It wasn't just annoyance, it was grief. Do you know that it grieves the heart of God when He comes into the presence of sinful unbelief? The Bible says it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. It says in Ezekiel, He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God has a genuine desire for every human being made in His image to know Him. And I said this a couple of months ago, uh, a chapel service when I was at seminary, my very first chapel service Our dean of students at the time, Mark Lederbach, got up and said, the greatest social injustice in the world is that people made in the image of God to worship him don't. That's the greatest injustice because if you are a human being and you die without knowing Jesus, you miss the whole purpose of your entire life. The main purpose of your life is to worship the God in whose image you are made. And it grieves Jesus to look in the eyes of the ones that he loves and that he died for that are blind and cannot see. It grieves his heart. But I want to say there's another level of grief that he has for the Pharisees. And you know why? Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were the leaders of Israel. If you remember with me back in Mark 6 as he got ready to feed the 5,000 I'll, I'll, never forget, I'll never forget reading that passage. Uh, it was that one sermon in this series where I cried so hard I couldn't get my, my words out. And I, had, I needed an Eric Woods, amen, to get me going again. You remember that? I, I just couldn't get it out. And you guys were all thinking, like, leave it to a Baptist preacher to cry over a, a story about feeding 5,000 people. He's a Southern Baptist. It wasn't about food. In that passage, Jesus looks out at the nation of Israel as sheep who had no shepherd. Why didn't they have a shepherd? You know why? The teachers of the law had no idea where they were leading the flock. And that grieves the heart of Christ. That they're waiting thousands and thousands of years for the Messiah to come. And because they were looking for the wrong Messiah, because they were looking for a political warrior, they completely and totally missed it. In fact, they not only missed it, they were so angry and wanting to discredit Jesus, they're the ones that eventually put him on the cross. And Jesus looks in their eyes and he sighs deeply in his heart. The Pharisees were so close and yet so far away. And it grieved his heart. And it tells us as teachers how careful we need to be. In James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, we often make jokes about it now. Brother Eddie in the search committee led by Jim O'Brien asked me three times, to submit my resume to be your pastor and I said no twice you say Bo why would you say no not because you, lo- you don't love Cedar Street listen you don't know how much I love this church it's because James chapter 3 terrifies me do you know why it terrifies me the Bible says I'm going to stand before God and give an account of every soul that I'm entrusted to you say Bo why do you care about the membership role so much why are you so strict on policies of membership because I need to know who my sheep are Because I'm going to give an account at my day of judgment. And none of you know how that feels. None of you know how hard it is to call out sin and sit in somebody's living room and tell them to repent. You don't know how hard that is. I wear that weight every day. And the Pharisees are going to face a judgment that we can't understand because they're the teachers of Israel and they didn't get it. we will be judged more harshly. We need to take that seriously. To the Sunday school teachers, I'm so grateful for the ministry that you've taken seriously because you will have a higher judgment. And you know, as I think about the Pharisees, I'm also reminded of one more story. There was one Pharisee, one. And his name was Nicodemus. And there was something different about Nicodemus. He saw something in Jesus nobody else saw. So he goes to Jesus in the middle of the night. And he begins to ask Jesus questions about salvation. And then Jesus finally reveals why the Pharisees could not see what Nicodemus was starting to see. He says, you don't need new signs. You need new birth." you must be born again. He says in John chapter 3 verse 3, truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's what that means. You need God to do a work in your heart. Perhaps he's doing that right now at the preaching of his word. And remove the blinders where the God that put you to sleep, the Sunday mornings in the pew where you couldn't wait to get to lunch and you were snoozing, all of a sudden the word becomes active and living in your heart because God is doing a work and that's not a sign from heaven. That's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's what you need. That's what we need to have faith. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Stop looking for signs. The wind blows where it may. The Holy Spirit does His work. You need to be born again. So that's number three. We've looked at the reality of seeking a heavenly sign, the reason for seeking a heavenly sign, the response to seeking a heavenly sign. Fourth and finally, and this is sad, let's look at the result of seeking a heavenly sign. It says in verse 13, And He left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side Now, to be sure, nobody in this room is a Pharisee. Again, those who are teachers are going to be judged more harshly. I thank God that in all my asking for signs, he didn't get in a boat and go away from me. He was patient with me. But with the Pharisees, he knew their heart, and he knew the writing was on the wall, and he wasn't going to waste time. He had already seen the Pharisees. He'd come and gone. He was on one side of the Sea of Galilee, and he decided to go to the other side. And the reason why is he knew at this point in his public ministry it was time to move in a different direction. It was futile to continue to argue with the Pharisees again because no sign was going to change their minds. Their heart was dead to the true and living God. And one thing happens in, after this scene, if you look at the rest of the book of Mark, the public ministry of Jesus begins to shift. So in the beginning of the first eight chapters, what you see is Jesus going out, sharing the gospel, healing and and all these signs and wonders to demonstrate that he in fact is the son of God. But as we, we go past this passage at the end of chapter eight and into the last chapters of Mark, what we see is Jesus now begins to focus on his disciples. He begins to pour into them and spend more time with them and prepare them for his departure because he knew it was these these men that were going to go out and be the leaders of the early church. And what can we learn from that? As we see Jesus shaking his head in disbelief at the uh, Pharisees and getting in a boat and going out, what does that mean, that we should stop doing evangelism? No. We need to share the gospel. We need to be faithful witnesses. But there is one thing that we need to be careful that we never do, We do not need to starve the sheep to try to feed the goats. There are churches right now, okay, there are churches right now who are so quote-unquote seeker-friendly, they don't want to be offensive in any way. They will basically make the uh, worship service as simple as it can be. They won't talk about sin. They won't get into the Word because they're scared of scaring people off. But in each one of those churches, there are genuine sheep who are hungry, And they starve because we're too busy feeding goats. Now, I will tell you this. I don't have the magic formula because you know what? I want our church to be welcoming to seekers. If somebody's struggling with their faith and they don't know God and want to know answers, I pray that Cedar Street would be a place where they're comfortable And yes, I pray that I don't teach or preach over their head. I want to teach clearly in a way that people can understand, but never in such a way that the the true sheep of this church go hungry. And that's not an easy task. To feed the most mature of the sheep, but yet put the cookies on the bottom shelf for everybody else, that's that's a week-by-week attempt. And sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. But I will say Jesus teaches us that we don't spend every waking second chasing after skeptics and trying to give an answer to every single argument they have. Listen, there's a time and a place for that, all right? We have to be faithful to defend our faith, to know what the attacks are, but we also need to spend a significant amount of time pouring into the people that God has entrusted to us. We can't let the sheep go hungry. And that's exactly what Jesus shows here. In the last part of Mark 8, as we go into the, the later parts of Mark. So, now that we've seen the reality of seeking a heavenly sign, the reason for seeking a heavenly sign, the response to seeking a heavenly sign, and then the sad result, it leads me to my conclusion. How do we sum this up? I'm going to share one sign with you. It says, Jesus has already provided the ultimate heavenly sign through the fulfillment of His earthly resurrection. Jesus has already provided the ultimate heavenly sign through the fulfillment of his earthly resurrection. So in another account between Jesus and the Pharisees, this one in the book of Matthew, it says in chapter 12, verses 38 through 40, as he's in the presence of the scribes and Pharisees, and they're doing the same thing in this passage that they did in Mark 8. It says, some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now what does that mean as we draw to a close? Here's what it means. I can't tell you how many Easter services I was a part of before this clicked. But on Easter morning when we come and we worship the Lord Jesus and we recognize that he came out of the tomb and he was raised from the dead, the sign of him coming out of the tomb is a sign from heaven. And it's a sign that the Father has approved his sacrifice. Do not miss that. All right, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And prior to the coming of Christ, you had the blood sacrificial system in the temple. And here's what happens. Animal after animal after animal is being sacrificed and all this blood is being shed and none of it could fully atone for the sins of mankind. It was a temporary covering over of the sins of man. But then Jesus comes. Again, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And He was finally the worthy and complete and sufficient sacrifice for the sin of man. And when He hung on the cross and said those three beautiful words, it is finished. What He was saying is, all the righteous perfection that needed to be earned, I've already earned it. And all the sacrificial atoning punishment that needs to be taken, I've already taken. And now that I'm on this cross, I breathe out my last breath saying that it is finished. And if he said those words and he never came out of the tomb, we'd still be looking for a heavenly sign that he's the Messiah. But he did come out of the tomb three days later. And when he came out of the tomb, it was an expression from heaven itself. The Father is saying, I approve of that sacrifice. It is all that is needed for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. We do not need a heavenly sign. He's already given it to us because He is risen indeed. That's what we need. So, as we pray, I just ask you if you are somebody who's coming in here today struggling with your faith, I don't condemn you. Questions are good, struggling is good, seeking is good. It means you care. There's a lot of people that are doing other things on Sunday morning that don't care. So I I encourage you. God will meet you where you are. But instead of seeking after signs, know the greatest signs have already been given. What I would say is give your life to Jesus. Repent of all the sins that you willingly know that you have committed. Seek to follow Him in faith. Follow him through the support and accountability of a local church. Get into the Word of God. He's not asking you to be a scholar. He's just asking you to be faithful to what you already understand, and he'll give you more understanding. Because remember, we worship a God who does not say, show me and I'll believe, but believe me and I'll show. Let's pray. Father, Again, I want to thank you publicly for what you've done for me privately in my walk with you, that you've been patient with me in the years that I've asked you to show me signs. Lord, you have in certain times and in certain ways, but I thank you, Lord, that you were patient in my immaturity, Lord, and even in areas where I am still lacking in maturity and that you've shepherded me. I thank you for this church and how you have shepherded us. And Lord, I pray that we would have a faith that would go beyond seeking after heavenly signs, that we would not test You, but we would trust You. And what is equally important, that we would obey You. Not to earn anything, because we know that what needed to be earned has already been earned by Jesus, but to obey You in faith for what He has already done for us. Be with us now, I pray.